thank you guys for letting me come back. <laughs> it's always fun, like when they ask you the first time to come, it's great, but when they ask you to come back again, it's like, oh, okay, I didn't mess it up the first time. <laughs> so this is awesome, but I really am. I love coming here and just seeing the community that you guys have. It's more than just a church. Like You guys have really built a family here, and I love um, just before service watching some of you just talk with each other and love on each other and you're in each other's lives and you're in the mess of it all and I love that. I think that's so awesome what you guys have built here. So congratulations to you guys. <laughs> um, but for me, I love coming here because there's people that I've known for, what did we decide, 20 years. Um, they've known me since I was little, little. Uh, they saw me through some really rough times <laughs> in my life and um, it is like coming back to family. It's like going to visit that extended family that's in a different state and I love coming here and um, being a part of the family. So part of being part of the family is I was just going to share a little bit about my children again. Um, as you know, I have two wonderful little children that God has given me. Uh, we have a five-year-old Jude, and Charlotte is three, and when you have little kids, it's <laughs> never a dull moment in my house. I don't know if any of you have ever experienced that, but it's never a dull moment in my house. Um, and today was one of those moments where, um, my kids were watching, it's, you know, a lazy Saturday, so we had Chick-fil-A on the couch, the kids are watching TV, and they're watching this show called Superbook, which is kind of like the newer, updated version of Adventures in Odyssey. It's like this, these kids, they have this robot, the robot takes them back into biblical times, and they learn, like, a life lesson. Well, today, the one that the kids were watching was on the crucifixion, which, in my mind, I didn't think was a bad thing, you know, and uh, we're watching this, and I'm watching this, like, play out and I mean they showed a very beat up gruesome Jesus and I was like huh and Charlotte comes up to me and she goes mommy he has blood I'm like yes and then I'm thinking like how am I gonna have to explain this later <laughs> um I don't know that you were ready for this and she moved on and then the next thing I know it was probably 20 minutes later I'm sitting at the kitchen table going over my message for tonight Brandon was on the couch and in comes Charlotte she has a hammer a fake hammer in one hand and these plastic toy nails in another hand and she's running up the stairs screaming and then here comes Jude chasing after her and they're mad at each other so finally we said okay what do you stop what is wrong Brandon stops them and he says okay what are you doing Jude and her were fighting over who got to be Jesus and who was the one to crucify Jesus so this is the game that we were playing in our house and I was like that we, they were way too young to see that show. <laughs> like, this again backfired on me. I thought we were giving you biblical lessons, and no, it just backfired in my face. So having kids is always just a wonderful adventure in my life. Anyways, <laughs> moving on from that, uh, last week, Pastor Paula, I believe, started a series on Nehemiah and rebuilding the walls, and um, just going through that story. So tonight, I wanted to continue uh, that story with you all tonight, and uh, I wanted to look at chapter four, is where we'll be camped tonight. Um, it's just chapter four, and uh, what I want to talk about tonight is um, how do we deal with opposition? We've seen now that Nehemiah's gone, and he's gone to rebuild the, the walls from where he was, his homeland, and um, he's now there, and they begin this process, they start doing this, and all of a sudden now, they begin to get pushback. There are people who aren't happy about this, which shouldn't come to a surprise, because anytime we step out in our lives to rebuild the brokenness or, or step out into what God has asked us to do, 
there's always going to be opposition because that makes the enemy mad. And he doesn't want that to happen. And he will do anything to stop us from doing that and, for, and do anything to, to discourage us from continuing the work that God has already set out before us. We see this in, um, starting in verse 1, and I'm sorry, I'm like not a Bible scholar, so if I get these names wrong, I'm real sorry. Sorry. <laughs> so, um, we have Sanballat, who was very angry when he learned that they were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Sumerian army officers, what do these bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're going to do? Do they think they can build the wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think they could make something of nothing or something of the stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? So he's basically saying, like, yeah, right. Like, really? They really think they're going to do this? I mean, it's like a bunch of rocks, plus it's all burned down. Like, you're really not going to do this. And he also points out something that I find really interesting. He points out something about the Jews being feeble and them being weak. And historically, we don't see much about them being, like, super strong. <laughs> um, and they, they really weren't. And so um, sometimes the enemy wants to use our weakness. He'll throw in our weakness when... He tries to lie to us and say, oh, well, you're not really good at that. Maybe you shouldn't do that. Or, you know what, you don't really know enough, so maybe you should just stay quiet because you don't know enough. And it may be partial truth, but it's not the whole truth. He wants to use our weakness against us to try to get us to neglect the greater truth that is God that is, God is with us and he will see us through it. And that's his one and only goal. So what do we do? How do we come against opposition? And what can we learn in chapter 4 of Nehemiah and how to do that? So the first thing I noticed here was that um, Nehemiah's first act was prayer. And prayer must be our first resource, not our last resort. Immediately after we see the enemies of his people coming against and saying, you're not going to do this, what is the first thing Nehemiah does? In verse 4, it says, he says, Then I prayed. Hear us, O God, for we are being mocked. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads, and may they themselves become captives in a foreign land. Do not ignore their guilt. Do not blot out their sins, for they have provoked you to anger here in front of the builders. Nehemiah didn't form a committee. He didn't go gather all his friends to talk about it. He didn't get on Facebook and tell the world what was going on, asking for advice. <laughs> he went to God first. He took his problem before God. And in today's society, we have technology, and we have information at our fingertips. I could go get on my smartphone right now and find the answer to any question I have. I could get on Facebook and try and find advice from millions of people who I may not even know because it's Facebook. And none of those things are wrong, necessarily, but I think so often we forget who has the answers, who's already, who's already victorious, and he already knows. So we have to remember to take our problems back to him first. It's like creating a habit. Um, something we learned in parenting was um, something called do-overs with children. Because the way that, the, that our mind works is that when something happens, a circumstance in your life happens, your mind creates a neural pathway 
um, that tells the, the rest of you, says, okay, when this happens, we're going to do this. So for example, I have two kids. They like to pick on each other. Sometimes Jude will take something from Charlotte, and her natural reaction is to punch him because she's three, and that's how we deal with our issues. <laughs> that might be what she does. I don't know. <laughs> and um, so what we do is we do this thing called a do-over. Instead of screaming and yelling at her, we stop her. We say, no, no, no. And we reenact the situation again for her. She holds the toy. Jude takes it away from her again. But instead, we have her act out the correct way to do it. You, you go and you say, Jude, can I have my toy back? Because that's, what that's doing in her mind is it's creating the neural pathway that reminds her that instead of freaking out and punching somebody when they take something from you, the right thing to do is to act like an adult and say, can I please have that back? It's the same thing um, with anything else in our life. We have to start to build that habit that when a circumstance happens, when the enemy comes against us, we automatically turn to God. And it's not something that happens overnight. It's something that you have to build up over time. But it, takes, it does take time, and it is a challenge. But when you do that, you'll see yourself overcoming certain oppositions a lot faster and a lot easier because you're not um, going anywhere else. You're going straight to the one who knows. So prayer has to be our first resource, not our last resort. Next thing we see here is we have to fix our filter. So we see again in verse 7, verses 7 through 9, we see again that the people of Judah, are, they're faced with opposition again. It says, but then Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and Ammonites and Ashadites and heard that the work was going ahead and that the gaps of the wall in Jerusalem were being replaced. They were furious and they made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. But we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. The enemy saw, okay, so my mocking didn't work, so now I'm going to have to make a plan because these people are still doing this. These, they're still going forward. So now we need to figure out what we're going to do. And that's what the enemy's always doing because you might pray and take a step forward, and he's like, whoa, no, 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 no. So he's going to do something again. He's going to find another way to get to you. And, the, and the, these people, they prayed, and they still guarded the city. They prayed, they took it to God, and they continued their work. They didn't allow the enemy to stop them. But then we see later on, after they pray, um, we see that the wall was built to half its height, and then again, they're mocked again. And all of a sudden, the people start to believe these lies. And actually, we see... Um, in verse 10, it says, Then the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired, and there is so much rubble to be moved, we will never be able to build the walls ourselves. Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, Before they know what's happening, we will swoop down and kill them and end their work. And then it goes on to tell us that the Jews who lived near the camp of the enemy kept coming back to Nehemiah and saying, They're going to attack us. We have to stop. They're going to attack us. What's interesting to me is the people not only started to believe the lie, but they started to repeat the lie that was already said. Because if you remember in the beginning, the enemy already said, how are they going to build this, all this rubble in this heap? They can't do it. So they begin to repeat what the enemy's already spoken over them. And that's where the enemy tries to get us, is he tries to speak those lies to you and get you to repeat them over yourself, like, oh, you're right, I can't do that. 
I'm not strong enough to do that. You're right. Because a lie believed as truth will affect you as if it is. And if the enemy can get a hold of your mind, he's already won the battle. If he can make you believe you can't, he's won because you won't. But we see here when I was reading this, um, we go on in verse 14. Um, Nehemiah, he, he goes back to the nobles and the leaders, and he reminds them of something. Instead of saying, oh, you guys are right, no, he goes back and he tells them, he reminds them. He says, don't be afraid of the en- enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious, and he fights for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. He reminds them, don't be afraid. Remember that God is on our side. We have to learn to speak God's truth over our life and not the enemy's lies. We have to learn to do that. And it's interesting to me here when you read chapter 4, the enemies weren't destroyed like we would think they were. They weren't like blown up or they weren't defeated. <laughs> but what we see here is the answer to their prayers wasn't the defeat of their enemies, but it was the changing of their minds that their minds were changed. They began to see the circumstance through different filters. And victory is often not found in the change of our circumstances, but in the change of our perspective. That we can pray and pray, and that's what we're supposed to do, and we're supposed to take our problems before God. But that doesn't mean our problems are going to go away like that. Most of the time, it doesn't happen that way. But what can happen is you can see your problems through God's filter, that yeah, you know what, that situation, it really sucks, and it's really hard for me right now, but I know who's got this. I know who's walking through this with me, and I know who's carrying me when I can't walk through it on my own. And that's what we see here, because we see that they continued the work. They didn't, we don't see them complain again. We don't see them whine and say, we can't do this. They continue the work. And actually, the third is that we always have to be armed. Not only did they continue the work, but they armed themselves. Amen. They, <laughs> they kept pursuing, but they carried swords. In Nehemiah four seventeen, it says, they carried out their work with one hand, supporting their load, and one hand holding a weapon. That they, car- they continued what they were supposed to be doing. They didn't allow the lies of the enemy to paralyze them. And they did allow it to keep them in fear. They went, f- they went forth and they did what they were supposed to do, but they were ready for when the attack came because they knew it was going to come. We also see in verse 23 that Nehemiah ends it telling us that they all, everyone, everyone, whether they were a worker or um, a noble, a leader, whatever, everyone carried a sword with them. They were prepared at every moment. Because no matter what, even when we get through one situation, the enemy's going to come against you. That's just given. You're always going to come under attack because he doesn't want you to complete what God's asked you to do. He wants you to, to live in fear. So they were always prepared. I don't know if any of you ever saw the show um, Doomsday Preppers. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, uh, 
I'm just going to say I don't understand any of that. Um, but uh, there's a show, and in case you don't know, it's, it's called Doomsday Preppers, and it's about these groups of people who plan for, like, the zombie apocalypse or, like, nuclear holocaust. But they don't just, like, I'm going to stir up some extra water over here. I mean, they have, like, their garages are, like, this is my bunker. If everything happens, I'm going to live here for the next, like, 30 years, and I've got food forever, and I've got my guns. I've got, I mean, I'm ready for when this happens. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I knew you would enjoy this. <laughs> yes. And, um, but they were prepared. And you know what? We may look at it and laugh and say, okay, that's kind of dumb. Um, why would you do that? Like, really, is, like, a zombie apocalypse really going to happen? Like, let's be honest. Uh, maybe it is. I don't know. But so we, we sit and we mock and we may say, like, okay, that's stupid. But if The Walking Dead really happened, who are the people that we're going to go to? We're running to Paula's house because Paula's ready. <laughs> and she's got her list of, like, I'll let you in, I guess. <laughs> But it's like these people, they were ready. They were prepared even though it hadn't happened yet because the enemy hadn't attacked them yet. It was just words. They were ready for when the attack came. And you have to be prepared in all seasons, whether you're going through it or you're not going through it because if you're not going through it, you will. <laughs> yeah, it's good though. Uh, <laughs> And you know what? We may not be walking around with swords on our hips, some of us guns on our hips, um, but we may not be walking around with a sword on our hip. But what are you carrying in your heart? What are you walking around with in your heart? So I heard this little bit of history fun fact. I thought it was kind of cool. Roman soldiers, the way they were trained was they were trained um, with a giant sword, huge massive sword that weighed a lot. So when they trained, they were building up that muscle and that strength. But when they actually went into battle, they didn't carry a big sword like that. They actually carried a smaller sword. They were actually like close killers. They weren't far away. And the reason for that was when they trained, they were building up the muscle and the strength so that when they did go into battle with that sword, they were able to move fast and they were able to strike hard because they had already trained for something that hadn't already happened yet. It's the same thing with God in our spiritual life. We have this. This is known as the Logos, the written word of God. We can read this. It's God's word. But there's a difference between the Logos and the Rhema. The Rhema is a specific word. It's spirit revealed. It's God's revealed word. The enemy knows this. He can quote this all day long. It's easy to read this and just sit through it and pick out scripture and say, oh yeah, that's good. But have you hidden the word in your heart? Do you stand on it? Is it consecrated in you? That when those times come, you're not falling broken, but that you can stand firm. Um, beginning of the year, we went through a really hard time. Um, we found out we were pregnant, and uh, it was very exciting. Five days later, I lost the baby. And it was the hardest thing I've ever had to go through. I remember calling Brandon. I remember just telling him, you need to come home. Something's wrong. So he came home, and we were on the phone with doctors, and 
they finally said, you know what, that's what's happening. They're losing the baby and we're sorry. There's nothing we can do. So I remember we sat in our room. I was sitting on the bed. Brandon's holding me and all we did was cry. And in that moment, I heard the lyrics to a song that I've heard hundreds of times. And the words were, God with us, God for us. Nothing can come against no one can stand between us. God began to speak over me, and in that moment I knew God was there with me. He was walking beside me. And it was because I had built that with him, that relationship with him, that that moment that could have destroyed me didn't. Not because I'm smarter or better or stronger, because I'm not. It's because I had taken God's word and sealed it in my heart that that moment didn't crush me like it should have. That actually the next day, I remember telling my mom I felt a little guilty because I wasn't broken in a sobbing mess. But I just knew he had it. And actually, um, about three weeks ago, we found out we're having another baby. And for the first week... <laughs> The enemy tried to come and remind me. He tried to put those lies in my mind that you're going to lose this baby. Don't get too attached because this baby's not going to happen. And I remember when I had lost the first baby, a promise that God had spoken to me that we were going to have a baby and the word I had for him was he was our double portion. So I remember standing on that word in every moment as we walked through it, knowing that this is my double portion, you will not steal my joy. So today we are pregnant with our third baby, and we are so excited. <laughs> Ephesians 6, <laughs> Ephesians 6, 17 says, the sword of the Spirit, or tells us to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. That we are to take up our sword. We are to fight against the enemy. It's not a physical battle. It's a mental battle. When he comes with you with lies, you take up your sword and you say, no, this is what God says. That I am a child of God. That I am victorious and you will not destroy me. Are you prepared? Let's pray. <laughs> uh, Lord God, we just thank you so much. Um, for this evening, God, I thank you so much for your word and your love for us, God. That no matter what we come against, you stand beside us, God. That you are fighting our battles and you have already won. God, I pray for every person here. I pray that as you um, minister to their hearts, God, that whatever situations they're going through or whatever situations are coming, that you would remind them of your strength, God. You would remind them of who you are and who they are, God. I thank you for tonight. In your name, amen. <laughs>